Before we get started on today's show, I want to tell you about Green Mountain Dental Group right there in Lakewood, Colorado. The best damn family-owned dentist and one of our longest-standing partners here at DNVR. They've got great family-oriented customer service where they get to know you, they get to know your charts, everything that it is that you have going on, first-name basis type customer service they have there. You're really going to love getting to know them. And right now, they're giving you a free Sonicare toothbrush when you sign up to get a cleaning x-ray and exam. So if it's been a while uh, since your last dentist visit or... If you're just looking to change where you go for your dental visits, consider Green Mountain Dental Group. Again, one of our long-term partners, diehard Denver sports fans. You know you already have one thing in common, and they've got that great promotional deal where you go in, get a cleaning x-ray and exam, and you get a Sonicare toothbrush. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the DNVR Nuggets podcast, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. You can use promo code DNVR when you sign up with the app, and you can start your gambling career now. Remember, keep it safe and fun. You know, nobody wants to overdo it with gambling. It's supposed to be fun. A lot of times, I don't even remember how much I bet. It'll be like five, ten dollars or something on a game or something here just to make it fun, especially if it's a game I'm not emotionally invested in. And it's a lot of fun. So you want to check that out. Today's episode is going to be a notebook episode where I go into my detailed notes from game five a fascinating, exciting um, and nerve wracking game game five. It was a lot more fun. I'll tell you to watch it on replay than it was to watch it live because on replay, you know, all of those tense moments, you know, they all pay off in the end. And so there was a lot to it. Um, it was, in many ways, a heroic game, although by no means, a, you know, the series is over or anything like that. But there were so many interesting details in it, and I want to walk you through all of those things. So if you're new to the Notebook episodes, what I do is I go in chronological order and just take notes while I rewatch the game, detailed notes, and I'm just going to go through those now as we get into this pod. The first one I have is that you forget. So many things happen that you forget what happened in that first period. But one of the things that happened was that Michael Porter Jr. was very shaky to open this game, very shaky. So first play of the game, they run an ISO for him um, to get him on the block, and he just didn't know, like, he was uncomfortable as he turned. He took one dribble and then lost his dribble, and he wasn't open. And he was like, ah, crap, and just kicked it out. And then the very next play, he's dribbling up the court and almost dribbles it right off of his shoe, like unforced error. He fortunately rebounded, picks it up, and then goes to attack, and then finally does turn it over and dribbles it off his shoe. So he basically had two turnovers in the second possession back-to-back. Uh, -back. He recovered one of them, but then finally turned it over. And that just goes to show you, like, man, there's a lot of pressure. It's funny how we talk about this. We are so emotionally attached to the highs and lows but the, you know our faces aren't on the line like we're not under the bright lights you think about a player in Michael Porter coming into this game coming off of a three-point game knowing how much this series where you're going up against a Hall of Famer in Damian Lillard and you got CJ McCollum and Carmelo Anthony another home you got all these great players across it it's like man I, the game's on me I have to play well Michael Porter was shaky to begin and I like that because what it tells me is that Michael Porter while he was shaky to begin this game he rebounded very well and had a nice game. I think it's more impressive for a player to be nervous and overcome it than to pretend they weren't nervous at all to be to begin with. I like that this was a game that he knew meant a lot. I like that it was difficult, and I like that he succeeded through those difficulties. Uh, I just I love Michael Porter, man. I, I he's just so fun to root for, and, and um, you know, watching him grow this game, and he has to keep it going. It can't be a one off, but this game really does remind me so much of Jokic's trials and tribulations jamal murray's trials and tribulations where it was by the time they became the star players that they they are today you knew they earned it 
you knew it was not a coincidence. This was not like, oh, uh, everything was handed to him or he was in the perfect situation. No, Michael Porter had to go through the fire. And game four of this series in many ways represented the lowest of the low for him. But to come out the other side in game five and really help Denver win the game and hit maybe the most important shot of the game or the final important shot was really, really cool. Um, Gordon did a great job of helping rebound against Nurkic. This is Yusef Nurkic is the key player in the series. If there was one, if you had to whittle it down, like obviously Damian Lillard, Nikola Jokic, they're going head to head, throwing haymakers, being clutch. There's so much great basketball between those two guys. It's weird too because you rarely see a a duel that is a center and a point guard. Like it, I can't think of the last duel that was a center and a non-other center, but that's kind of what you have. They're not going at each other one-on-one, but they are sort of like forced to respond to each other, and it's really cool. But at the heart of the success, the like the biggest player on the margins is Yusef Nurkic because when he's been on the court, he's almost a plus 60 in the series. The series right now, Portland has three more points than Denver. Overall, and that's in part because game four was such a blowout, so they gained a lot there. But basically, we could say this series is even. When Nurkic is on the court, they have absolutely dominated. And I think some of this is, you know, Nurkic was a plus 31 or something in game four, so he his numbers are also a little bit inflated. And in game one, I think he was like a plus 19. So two games, he was really big. But in the games Denver won, he was either a negative or only a slight positive. I think he was a plus, plus three in like game four game three, a plus two in game two, and a plus zero this last one. So Denver can sort of limit his impact, but when he has a big impact, then Portland tends to win. And one of the things I highlighted on the last edition of the list was the importance of gang rebounds. Because Nurkic is setting screens and rolling to the basket often against mismatches, he is grabbing rebounds over people. You can't expect one-on-one box outs with him. you got to put a lot of people on him. And I thought early on Aaron Gordon really keyed in on this. Every time there was a rebound with uh, Nurkic, Jokic was boxing him out and Gordon was flying through to, to like tap the ball or rebound it or just keep Nurkic from getting it. One thing Gordon did not do, and this is on the list up on the DNVR for DNVR members. Uh, You want to check it out. 13 clips today that highlight a lot of the things that I find most interesting about the series. I feel like if you watch the list throughout this entire series, I've done four. There's been five games. I've done four versions of the list. You really see the X's and O's battles that are going on and the adjustments teams are making, in in my opinion. So you want to check those out. But one of the things, so you want to get Nurkic in foul trouble. He's fouled out of three games, all three of the ones Denver has won. And one of the things you have to do is just attack him at the basket. And Denver did a great job of that. In particular, Monte Morris did a great job of getting into the paint and attacking the rim. But early on in this game, you'll remember the play. Jokic drives to the basket, drops it off for Aaron Gordon, who's right at the restricted area. Elevate and dunk? No. For some reason, he takes a dribble backwards and shoots a fadeaway. And it's one of my big complaints about Aaron Gordon. And I don't know. I had I had this complaint about a handful of players. Jeremy Grant, I used to have this complaint about just why doesn't he go and try to dunk it on people every single time? There are players out there that just have that audacity where it's like they're always trying to dunk it on people. And I like that. I wish Aaron Gordon had that audacity, um, but he just doesn't seem to. But on this play, he fades away instead of just going at Nurk. If Aaron Gordon got his shot blocked by Nurkic five times in game six, I would say, great, you're doing your job. Because even if you get your shot blocked six times, first of all, shot blocks don't mean that you lose possession. In fact, you retain possession like half of the time there's a block shot. So it's not that big of a deal to get your shot blocked. And then most importantly, 
if you keep going at the rim like that, you're going to draw fouls. It's just inevitable that you're going to pick up, especially with Nurkic, who is it's one of his big weaknesses defensively is he does foul a lot. So just attack him every time and make him decide, do I want to get dunked on? Do I want to block this shot and risk getting a foul? I have a feeling that in game six, Nurkic is going to be so amped up, but also cautious. Like he's going to be worried about fouling uh, in this game. And when you play a player that is worried about fouling, you just need to attack them because then they may be a little bit more passive on trying to block shots and just dunk on them, just go at them. So um, it's funny too, because there was a second play late in the game. In fact, Nurkic's sixth foul was from an Aaron Gordon dunk attempt. And it was fantastic. It's exactly what you're supposed to do. Go right at him. Nurkic had picked up the fifth foul on the very play before. This just tells you where Nurkic's head is at. He still tried to block a shot and uh, on Aaron Gordon and picked up an obvious like, you know, wrestle usually like if there was six minutes left in a game and a player, a key player picks up their fifth foul, the sixth one better be a big one for them to call it. Well, it was. That's what happened on this play is Aaron Gordon went right at Nurk, draws the contact, and it was like, hey, we have to call this one. Like you clearly, you clearly fouled him. So Aaron Gordon, if I had one sort of task for him in game six, it would be attack the basket, man. I don't care what your percentage is. Just go at the basket and try to dunk it on Nurkic as often as possible. And if he blocks you a bunch of times, so be it. The moment he gets fouled out of the game, the moment is the moment the Nuggets win. And even if it's not fouled out of the game, make Terry Stotts have to pull him early. If he picks up two fouls in the first four minutes, boom, get him out of there. Now you get to run an extra two or three minutes in the first quarter with him on the bench, and Denver's going to win those minutes. So it's just so important that they key in on trying to attack Yusef Nurkic and make him make decisions. Find out if he's willing to put his foul trouble on the line in order to protect the rim. I have a feeling he will not be in game six. Um, Rivers has been so fantastic and I just love it. Uh, I, I, he hit two threes early and you know, the final tally on three pointers for some of these guys, you know, it is important, but equally as important is, you know, how do you get off to that hot start and do you force the defense to rotate and guard you? And two games in a row now, Austin Rivers has hit early threes. He goes five of 10. So he was great in this one. In fact, he's starting to shoot the ball really well, knock on wood, but he, um, Hitting him early just psychologically puts something in the t in the defense's brain where it's like, crap, we have to stick to this guy tonight. I also thought the Nuggets were looking for Porter a lot, or especially early. They were looking for him more in this game than they have in recent games. Like I've talked about Porter's, and Michael Malone has talked about Porter needing to participate in his own recovery, and I think that continues to be very true. But at the same time, Denver did a great job tonight of running a lot of actions to get him the ball, and I thought Porter was keyed in much more on the physicality and how to get open. I highlight this, by the way, on the list. Subtle little things he does to create space before running off of pin downs or cuts or handoffs, and I think it was the difference in him getting three shots that he felt comfortable taking versus getting how many did he take in this one it was quite a few right 13 so still he could have taken more than 13 but even upping it by 10 just shows you that he had you know added something as well as the nuggets started looking for him um there are two things that are at the heart of this in fact why don't we take our first break on the other end on the other side of the break I'll talk about the two things that are going on defensively that, are, to me, are the most important thing happening in this series. And if you could whittle down what does Denver need to do to succeed defensively in Game 6, it would be these two things that have to do with guarding Nurkic in particular, but the, the, the Lillard-Nurkic pick-and-roll. Taking our first break, I'm going to tell you about Hassel Cattle Company. You know them, the Wagyu Special. We brought you damn good beer with Breckenridge Brewery. Now we're delivering you damn good beef. So good that you can now get Wagyu beef at the DNVR bar. What other bar in Colorado serves Wagyu beef 
for their burgers. We had, I thought, a 10 out of 10 burger before the Wagyu. You get this one, I was wrong. There was another level. This one goes all the way up to 11. That's how good the Hassle Cattle Company Wagyu Beef Burger is. It's by far my favorite thing at the DNVR bar. And right now you can get it at the DNVR bar or you can order it online by going to hasslecattlecompany.com and selecting what you want. They've got these big uh, you know, coolers that they'll send you. You put in, you want your steaks, your burgers, your bacon, whatever it is you want. They've even got salsas and some other things. You put together a whole order. They'll ship it straight to your door and it'll be there waiting for you. It's fantastic. Right now, you can use the promo code DNVR10 to save 10% off of your order. And if you get an order over $200, you're buying in bulk, so you have something for the whole month, a whole, you know, six months, whatever it is, uh, use it in the outside freezer. If you buy over $200 worth, you get free shipping. So check them out, hasslecattlecompany.com. Also today, I want to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook, the presenting sponsor of this show. You know, it's our favorite sportsbook here. It's also America's top-rated sportsbook app. It's easy to navigate, plenty of instructions for new bettors. So if you're intimidated getting into it, don't be. They give you all those sign-up bonuses. They give you all those great deals. And then it's easy to navigate. You just kind of figure it out as you get on the site. It's putting you also courtside with the NBA season with a chance. We'll bet $1 and you win $100 in site credit. So think about this. If tomorrow you feel like the Nuggets are going to win game six, you put $1 on them. Not a lot, a lot to risk. You put $1. And if they win, you win $100. That's how crazy this deal is um they've also got great odds and promotions on hockey baseball whatever it is mma ufc it's safe secure and reliable you deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience so none of this like you gotta wait six business days or anything nope it pops right into your account it's very seamless obviously all legalized here in the state of colorado so it's easy to to work with so download the top rated DraftKings sportsbook app right now and use promo code dnvr when you sign up turn one dollar into one hundred dollars in free credits must be 21 or older colorado only new restrictions on or new customers only Wagers paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. So there are two things that are happening right now defensively that become sort of keys in the pick and roll and defending the pick and roll and making it so hard for Nurkic in particular to have an impact. But by extension, taking off the Blazers' best release valve for Damian Lillard. So... I've talked about on previous notebook editions as well as on the list how when Lillard is running pick and roll with Nurkic, which is what Portland loves to do, Lillard's just so much more dynamic than Norman Powell or CJ McCollum. Both of those guys can really score and really fill it up, but Lillard's the guy that can do it in every way. So whatever it is you try to do to him, you know, other than take the ball out of his hands by trapping him, you know, he has a counter for so he can shoot from three, he can shoot from the mid-range, he can get to the rim and finish, you know, dynamic ways, he can iso. So he just, he's more dynamic. And so Denver is bringing Jokic way up the floor. They're trying to get the ball into Nurkic's hands. Well, one of the big keys, and I've talked about this before, is meeting Nurkic as far up the court as possible. And I think the most interesting thing you'll see on the, actually there's a lot of interesting things on the list, but one of them is just how far Compazzo in particular steps up when he's the low man. And he's the low man more than anybody else. What I mean by the low man means he is the furthest away from the play. He's His guy is in the corner opposite of wherever the pick and roll is happening. And that means that he is the guy that has to help. We call that the low man. He is... The Blazers are purposely putting whoever he's guarding in the corner so that he's the low man because he's so small that their hope is if he doesn't meet Nurkic far enough away, we like if he just like rotates over, Nurkic can shoot right over him or go around him or it get forces a switch and it's you know it's a mismatch. So and also just he's short, so he has to cover the most ground, you know, the shorter legs, shorter reach. But what the you know, Faku is just so fast. 
And he's always so locked in. And he does a fantastic job, especially in this game. It hasn't been all series. But he's done a fantastic job of not sliding his feet over when he's in help side to meet Nurkic on the roll, but sprinting, getting there early, and then sprinting a full sprint to beat Nurkic as high and as far away from the basket as possible. If you think about it, if Nurkic caught it in the restricted area on the roll, he just would jump over and dunk it and there'd be nothing that you could do. And indeed that's happened in this series against a bunch of players, including Cabazzo. But if you make him catch it, say at the free throw line, he has to take at least one dribble or maybe even two dribbles or make a move, you know, dribble left, spin to the right, you know, and finish whatever. He has to do something dynamic with the basketball. And so what, uh, Faku has done such a great job of, and what I think is the key to the Nuggets winning in game six is not letting him catch it, not just in the restricted area, not just outside the restricted area, but so far away that he's not even in the paint. And Faku does a great job of this. Now, the second aspect of this is, okay, if Nurkic catches it there, he took a shot at the foul line, like he just tried to shoot it over a, a jumper, and Nurkic can hit those. Do I trust that he can hit enough to win the game? No. So every time he takes a little foul line jumper over Faku, let's count that as a win. Um, he can also dribble around him, but, you know, Denver's going to swarm him. Jokic is coming back. You know, that's a bad option for him, especially if you can force him to his left hand, because he going right, he has like a pretty good little scoop shot with his right. He has better touch. Going to his left, he still uses his right hand more often than not, and his just touch is terrible. It's actually really bad, well below average for a center on, on touches if you just take him outside of the restricted area. So Faku has done a great job, but the second part of this is that, uh, Denver, the backside then, the secondary help, if Faku leaves his man in the corner and sprints all the way to the opposite side to make sure Nurkic stays outside of the paint, that means the next guys up, the next nearest guys on defense have to be guarding two players at once. They have to split the difference, right? And more often than not, what Portland is doing is they're trying to make Michael Porter Jr. that second guy. So they'll put C.J. McCollum in one corner. They'll put Norman Powell in the other corner. And then and then Covington will be up on the wing one pass away from the opposite corner. So Faku rotates over. And Michael Porter usually has to be the guy that decide, that splits the difference and doesn't allow either. whoever If Nurkic catches the ball and then swings it to the opposite side the way Jokic is the best in the world at, um, Nurkic is okay at. The way if then Porter has to be dialed in enough to know if it's to Covington, maybe you kind of stunt at him, but make sure they don't he doesn't get a chance to swing it in the corner. You know, you have to like kind of close out on both guys a little bit to make sure it doesn't happen. But more importantly, you just have to read the court. You have to read the timing of it. You can't let somebody cut behind you. And Porter, I think he is much better on ball, much better as a rotator, even better in the pick and roll, but trying to read the court like two steps ahead, that's where he can get tripped up a little bit. And I thought he was good in this game, but that's the key battleground. Faku is going to hard rotate to the roll man on Nurkic almost every single time it's on Porter then to be the secondary guy. So when, and if the ball kicks out, there's no confusion and no blown assignments. And it's really tough to do. There's examples of this up on the list and to make things even complicated, you know, Portland likes to, and I think it's smart to do what's called an empty corner where all three players are on the opposite side. Faku's guy is in the corner, so he's the low man who has to sprint over to tag the roller. And then Gordon and MPJ's guys will switch spots so that their assignments switch at the perfect timing so that there's a confusion for who's supposed to be guarding the corner and the wing and who's supposed to be guarding the wing and above the break. 
And if you switch those guys at the exact right moment, those jobs change and the communication has to be on point. When Portland does that, they've confused Porter a few times. But that's the battleground right there. Can Faku continue to do that? And not just him, Marcus Howard, Monte Morris. Like when little, they like little guys to be on the court in those help side positions. Can all of those guys sprint, not slide your feet, but sprint over to stop that roll? And can the other guys be locked in enough to be able to cover for you while you do it? It's really tough. And to me, when Denver does a good job of that, the only thing Portland has left is Damian Lillard making hero shots. And twice in the series now, he has done a Hall of Fame all-time level job of making shots. Do I think he has two more in it? I don't think so, but he could. He's a good enough player that maybe he does have these. But guess what? The two times he has done that in the series, Denver has still won. So think about it. That's how great and dynamic Portland has to be if you take away that role, that role option. If you take it away, Damian Lillard needs to go for more than 55 points for them to win. Um, Michael Porter's aggressiveness on the boards was great. His second basket of the game was a putback. It's huge for his rhythm and his confidence. I love that he's trying to be involved in other ways. Um, De- Portland's first point of this game, I talk about Denver being locked in on their defense and with those rotations. Denver was doing such a great job of this. This again, guys, think about this. Lillard was hot at the end, but he was also hot early, and Portland still couldn't score. They didn't score for four minutes. And then when they finally scored, it was off of a defensive three seconds play. That was their first points of the game. Denver was up 10, 10 to 1. That's how effective it is when you take away Nurkic by being on a string and getting out effectively. Um, but So Denver was doing a great job. Aaron Gordon's threes are found money. Um, I don't know if he'll hit two in a row to open a game again, but the fact that he did it in this one was a big part of why Denver went up 15 points early. And then that Monte Jokic pick and roll was so great. I have this up on the list, but Monte's ability to get to the rim, it just changed. It's different than Faku. More than anything else, Even I know everybody always thinks about the three-point shooting, and that's big as well. But just being able, Nurkic wants to be able to stick close to Jokic. And this is why if Jamal Murray was here, I think this series would have been at at most a five-game series, but I think it actually probably would have been a sweep, is because Nurkic gets to kind of like stick to Jokic in this one because Faku, if he turns the corner on pick and roll, you just don't trust him to finish. He's the fourth worst finisher at the rim uh, in the playoffs right now out of 72 players who qualify for at least 10 attempts. He is the fourth worst right now. He just doesn't finish when he gets to the rim, but Monte Morris does and did in this game, and I think that's why I would expect more minutes for the Monte Jokic pick and roll is Nurkic wants to, on the pick and roll, just kind of show a little bit, drop a little bit, but stay close enough that he can contest the Jokic three-pointer. If you've got Monte, Monte's so good at freezing the defender, freezing the big with a little hesitation, and then Nurkic has to guess, is he going or is he throwing it back to Jokic? If he's throwing it back to Jokic, I got to sprint out at Jokic so he doesn't get an open three. But if you guess wrong and jump at Jokic, Monte gets the easy bucket at the rim. If you guess Monte and you're wrong, you have a switch on your hands and all of a sudden you're really compromised. So I think Monte should play more with Jokic in game six. And weirdly enough, Faku being in foul trouble and being a little bit ineffective might have been what forced Malone's hand to play Monte more. And I think that's the biggest reason from Denver's perspective, not Nurkic going out is the biggest reason, but Monte being in there, that's why Denver was able to have an effective offense down the stretch. Um, the Nuggets ran Michael Porter Jr. and ISO in the, to start the second quarter, and he absolutely delivered. Those minutes where Michael Porter is with the bench, Portland's bench unit is atrocious. They just cannot defend. They can score, but they cannot defend at all. And it's so important that Denver scores as much as possible when Nurkic is on the bench and when they just don't have their their main guys out there defensively. And Porter delivered in this one. I'm so curious if he can deliver a game six on the road, how difficult that will be. But you get out there and you give him the ball and you let him take some shots. 
you know, you let him ISO a little bit. You go away from some of your typical offense and see what happens. And he delivered in this game. Um, Monte's dribble drive game I talked about was huge, not just in the pick and roll, but just getting into the teeth of the defense. If Denver can get their guards into the paint, especially their guards who can score, they're going to score almost every single time because it compromises Portland so much, especially when they don't have a center on the court. Um, Nuggets ran a great pin down action for Michael Porter, but they... So here's what happened with this second unit. It's um, you put Howard in the corner. Okay, floor spacer can't leave him open. In fact, he had three three pointers in this game that were just absolutely enormous. But you put him in the corner. You put the ball in Monte Morris's hands on the same side of as as Howard, but on the wing. And then you run a pin down action on the other side using your two bigs, Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap, and you run Michael Porter off of those. Now, why this is important? We've talked about Porter hasn't done a great job of creating space. He did a better job in this game using his body. Kind of hip checking guys before running off the screen but also if you use a double stagger it's also known as a strong pin down strong is the term for double um a strong pin down you run michael porter off of that and then the defense has to decide if you if you are trailing him so if you're norman powell and you're trailing him you're probably going to get caught up on one of those screens long enough that Porter can go right into a shot, which means one of the bigs has to jump out on him. So the first screen is Jermichael Green. After he screens, he runs to the corner. The second screen is Paul Millsap, and they had him just kind of stay at the wing. Michael Porter gets open off of the pin down action and goes right into his shooting motion, elevates. Covington panics and jumps out on him to contest the shot, and wide open was Millsap for the roll. And this is one of the things I've been talking about and calling for the Nuggets to make a staple of their uh, offense with Michael Porter. It's the best way to use him. It's how the Warriors use Klay Thompson a lot. You run him off of a handoff or off of those pin downs, and he goes right into a shooting motion. If he's not open, he just gives a release valve pass right back to the screener, in this case Millsap, but it could also be Jokic off of handoffs. And if the defense jumps out at you to contest the three-pointer, then you drop it right back off, and now Jokic or Poor or Millsap or whoever is wide open. If they don't jump out at you, you're already – he jumps so high, and his release – like he has a full second on his jump before he has to release the ball because he jumps so high and he's so smooth that just jump into your shooting motion. If they don't jump out, shoot it. If they do jump out, drop it off to the wide-open screener. And I just think it could be – to me – I don't know why Denver doesn't run this five times a game or more for Michael Porter. Even when Jokic is in the game, to me, it would be a great way to utilize him, and I hope that they get there eventually, maybe even in this series. Um, Nuggets, really, I talk about need to attack the second unit. No rim protection. You need to do it. Those Marcus Howard's threes were huge. It's why Denver went up 18 and ultimately 22 points. They were already up, but you add on some of those threes. Maybe you weren't expecting from a role player, and you're just cooking with gas. Um, and then Porter was cooking. It was so great to see. Those minutes were so huge for him in that second quarter to really get going and to get some confidence. And he just, he's such a talented scorer. I didn't, it's funny, he didn't really have a lot of moves in this game, but he just kept elevating over, and it was great. Um, when Jokic came back in, it's, this is the interesting thing, you know, going against that second unit, terrible defensively, you bring both teams as first units back out. It's going to be a little bit harder to score, but I thought the Nuggets got too reliant on Jokic in that second quarter in the moment in which Portland stormed all the way back. It was a disastrous close to the half. I thought the Nuggets went to Jokic a little too much there and they went to him in a way that was just stagnant, just kind of standing around, um, no movement, no cutting. And I thought it was detrimental to the team. I think that they can, even with that first unit, especially if Porter hits two, three, four in a row like he had just had, you could probably give him a couple touches uh, in some of his pet plays and just see how the defense reacts. Go down to the, you know, send Jokic, run some action to get switches, and then use Jokic as a rebounder uh, and let Porter try to get a shot up. I think that would be good offensive pro process. And then on the other end of the court, 
you talk about some of the worst things you can do. If you're up in a, you know, you're up 20 in a playoff game, really in any game, there's a couple things you have to avoid. And ones. Well, the Nuggets had a couple and ones, including a three-point and one. Michael Porter fouls Damian Lillard on the break after the shot, so it didn't even affect the shot, and you give up the and one, fouling a jump shooter. Um, poor transition defense. Defensive three-second calls. These are all free points that you're giving to a team, and Denver had a mix of all of them. They also missed three three-pointers in one possession in a sequence. Austin Rivers missed two of them, and then I don't remember who the third player was that took one in, in the same possession, but they also missed. So some of this is like, okay, Denver ran a little cold. Is this just regression to the mean they were a little hot you know marcus howard gave him points probably like i think that that this is just the, how basketball works sometimes you miss three wide open threes on one possession and sometimes marcus howard hits a shot falling down and it all balances out it all comes out in the wash so some of this was just regular stuff but the defensive three seconds the fouling the sh jump shooters the and ones those are the things that allow a team down 22 points to get back into it and it was the worst possible way to end what was a near perfect first you know 18 minutes of the first half and instead of being up 20 or 15 or even 10 points you're only up three points going in and it felt like you were you were getting killed it was absolutely brutal for the nuggets taking our final break here guys and tell you about our new partner solace meds New partner alert, everybody. This one's really great. Solace Meds, four convenient locations, one in Fort Collins, Wheat Ridge, one on Broadway, and then one just a few blocks away on East Colfax, right up right by the DNVR bar. So if you are looking for a new dispensary, this is your place. Make it your home. These people are our people, so we want to make all of our customers their customers as well. And they've got everything you want, concentrates, gummies, edibles, Dixie, which, is, you know, a lot of people in the company love the Dixie products, a drink. It's really relaxing. Um, and you can use promo code DNVR20, you receive 20% off if you use that promo code. Use that promo code. I know a lot of you guys have been going, but use the promo code. They want to be able to see that we are sending them clients, and that's how you do it. So go check them out. Really cool uh, group of guys that, that own that company, and they have some really cool things, like really cool decor, everything in there. I think you're going to really like it uh, and make it your home dispensary. So check it out and use promo code DNVR. You can also order online and just go and pick up. I love that, that feature as well, so you don't have to go there and wait and do all the things. Order online, you just drive up, pick it up, and then you're out the door. Easy breezy. Solace Meds, S-O-L-A-C-E, meds.com. And you remember that promo code, DNVR20, to get 20% off. Also want to tell you about Chevalier Mortgage. You guys know me. I, for 10 years, I was in the real estate business. I did a lot of mortgages, a lot of real estate transactions, a lot of refis, everything that, that, can, that you need to do to borrow money for a house. And I'm telling you, the number one thing I used to always tell people and still tell people to this day, it's a lot easier than you think. It sounds intimidating. Oh my God, borrowing for a house with all these complicated steps. It's not. You speak to somebody like Mike of Virginia Chevalier, uh, family business like this, you know, small boutique place that is going to take care of you and really spend the time, not just churn out person after person. They forget your name. They don't pick up the phone. No, that's not Mike in Virginia. They're going to actually spend the time to walk you through, explain everything that they have going on in the process and to make you feel comfortable as you're trying to buy a house. The first step, if you're interested in buying a house is to call Mike and Virginia Chevalier. A lot of people don't know that. Maybe they think they call a realtor. No, call your lender, Mike and Virginia Chevalier uh, with Chevalier Mortgage, and they're going to walk you through that entire process. Right now, you can call Virginia directly, 303-257-6578. Again, you're going to want to write that number down. Call Virginia, 303-257-6578. Or you can just visit dnvrmortgage.com and fill out an application there and look at all the information you need. Michael Chevalier's NMLS number is 1931006. Virginia's NMLS number, this is for legal purposes, 1910630. 
1-800-522-5331. Check them out, guys. Fantastic, uh, fantastic people that'll help you buy your first home, sell your current home, or, or get you a refinance on your current loan. Also, I want to tell you about Gabby Insurance along these same lines. It's funny, a lot of a lot of our listeners I know are in the process of maybe buying their first home or buying a new car or whatever, whatever it is. Check out your insurance provider. Are you spending too much? You probably are, and that's why they have Gabby Insurance, G-A-B-I, and it stands for Get A Better Insurance. This is like so many things with the internet has streamlined the process. There's no more bloating with these big companies trying to rob you blind. Instead, Gabby Insurance will put your rates up against, or, or their rates up against progressive nationwide travelers, whatever it is. You just put in what it is you have insurance on, what you're paying, and they will show you what the same deal would be, but their same, uh, all the same terms with them. And odds are you're gonna save a lot of money. Gabby customers save on average $961 per year. Isn't that insane? $961, what would you do with an extra $961? Probably quite a bit, so stop wasting your time. Go to gabby.com slash DNVR, that's G-A-B-I.com slash DNVR, and check out Gabby Insurance and everything they have to offer. Talking about the second half now in the final segment here, I thought, and, and overtimes, I thought Faku did a great job of not backing down against Norman Powell. I know this sounds like a little thing, but you know, Faku's tough. We've seen this before. We saw this in the Olympics. DeAndre Jordan tried to get in his face. It, it's funny. This is such a dumb note, but it's funny. Like Powell and him get tangled up and Powell gets in his face. And there's that split second where you can always tell if a guy is really going to hesitate or really go at it. Faku had no hesitation in him. As soon as Powell was like, oh, you want some of this? Faku was like, oh, I would love some of this. It went right into him. And I just love it. Like this team, we talk about their slogan this year. We don't, we, we don't back down. And that was such a, we don't back down moment. Powell, who's way bigger is like, all right, I want to get in your face for this. And Faku was like, I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready for this. And it was just a great moment. That being said, Dwight Powell did start going at him. And I think drew three fouls in that corner quarter against him. Um, just, just using Faku's own aggressiveness against him. But you know what? It turned out to be a little bit of a blessing in disguise because Monte Morris had a career night. Um, one of his highest scoring nights of his career might, might've been the highest. I'm not sure if he has better than 28 points, certainly not in a playoff game. Um, and so he gets to check into this game and, and play heavy minutes and get a rhythm going. And I thought it was big. Uh, Jokic drew an offensive foul on Nurkic in the post in this one. And it was 100% taken from game four in game four. There was a play where Nurkic just backs Jokic down, goes right through him and gets an easy layup. And it was a total, like, you know, like old Shaq style move. Like you're too strong and I'm just going to move you off the spot. And Jokic kind of timed that, knew that Nurkic was going to go to that same move and perfectly just like planted his feet so that if he knocked him, he'd knock him over, went down and got the charge call. And I thought it was a great defense. Like there's a reason that call exists. To me, some people say like Vladi Divac invented the flop. I don't think so. To me, that's called good defense. An offensive player is not supposed to be able to go through in the post, not supposed to be able to just mow through. If that was the case, Embiid would dominate. Shaq would have won 12 titles. Just whatever big player there is, just you just go through the defense and you would win, you know, you would score every single time. So there's a reason this play ex that it exists that you can plant your feet. And if a player tries to go through you, you take the dive, it's a foul. And Jokic did a great job of reading that against Nurkic. Once Cantor came in, Jokic started, like, immediately started to attack him. Jokic has zero fear of Cantor. Um, it's wild how little he fears or even sees or feels Cantor when he is on the court. But it's actually weird because. Denver almost always dominates the minutes Jokic is on and Nurkic is off. In fact, I'd be curious to see if they had a single 
stretch in which that happened where Denver did not win the minutes, but it happened in this game in the third quarter. Uh, a little bit of luck. Denver missed some shots. I thought Jokic got a little bit tired. And then, of course, the Blazers made some big shots. But it's wild to think that I, as when that happened and Nurkic went out with his fourth foul, I thought, oh, Denver's going to go on like a 15-5 to run here. And the opposite was true. Denver actually got to their biggest deficit in the stretch, which was a real shock. Um, Blazers have been doing a really good job of switching mismatches in the post against the second unit in particular. So when Denver will run an action and like, you know, uh, CJ McCollum or Anthony Simons will get switched on to Paul Millsap in the post immediately somebody from the backside will sprint over and switch for him. So like Covington or Andre Hollis Jefferson will like sprint over and switch to, to before you make a post move. It's happened now in two consecutive games. And I think that it's a thing that Denver can actually prepare for and maybe even run a set play where it feels like it's not a set play, but you know you're going to get the switch and then you run an action. Portland did this late in the game. If you recall, there was a play where I don't remember who had the ball down in the post, but it was like on Faku or Marcus or or somebody and one of Denver's defender, I think Jermichael Green came sprinting over to try to bump him off. And then you throw the little drop pass for a wide open dunk. Now that was just reading the court and seeing what happened, but Denver can maybe make a, a set play where they're like, Hey, we know they're doing this switching after post entry when we, when we get the switches we want. So let's run a little set that puts us in position to take advantage of it. I think Denver might be able to get a basket or two out of that. And look in game six, every basket you can sort of like artificially create is, is big. Um, this was another, there were so many gut check moments for Michael Porter, but this was one of them to start the fourth quarter. Nurkic is on the bench. Jokic is on the bench. Who's going to win these minutes? Uh, Damian Lillard is on the court. Michael Porter is on the court. Who's going to win him? And Porter just, he showed up, man. He had the Dirk fall away. He had another tough jumper. He had two like tough jumpers, um, that just nothing but net. The only shot he missed, it's kind of incredible. He airballed what might've been his best look, a three pointer and he airballed it. On his second shot, so he hits a shot, then he airballs a three, and you think, oh, God, is he going to get rattled? It's fourth quarter, game's like tied. And no, he just kept shooting, and he kept making. And it was incredible to watch. I mean, to finish 10 of 13, that's incredible efficiency given the amount of difficult shots he had to take in this game. Um, Monte also came up so huge, just hit some big shots. He guarded CJ McCollum, I thought, fantastically. I loved them closing with Monte. Again, you know, Faku, I think, lost his minutes initially because of fouls, but then Monte was playing so great, and they had that pick-and-roll action going. I'm so curious to see how Denver closes in Game 6. Do they close with Faku or Monte? Do they try both? I don't know. That'll be a really big test, um, and I'm not even sure what I think the answer is. In this game, it clearly was Monte Morris. Um... And it just made Denver so much more harder to to, to guard. Um, I'm curious if they do that, even if Nurkic is in, if they just try to run more minutes when it's Nurkic up there, try to put him in pick and roll, just see how he defends. I think it's one thing you could really use to learn. Um, you know, Will Barton still listed as out, so officially out for tomorrow. P.J. Dozier, same thing. So at this point, I would be shocked if they brought him back for a Game 7, either one of those guys. So you have to assume that the series is who it is, and Denver's going to have to find a way to get a win. And then uh, the Nuggets, you know, I, I'm not even going to talk too much because we talked yesterday on this podcast about the overtimes and the end of games. There was a lot of things that happened, a lot of breakdowns on Denver's part. Some of this is just not having the right personnel. Some of this is you just tip your hat. I mean, the banked three that uh, Damian Lillard, he had so many great shots, and then he got that one call that I thought was – it sucks because the the call on, on Austin Rivers that they reviewed and then confirmed is a foul by how the, le the league is officiated. Like, it's not that it was a bad call. It is a foul. It just sucks that that's a foul. That was my complaint about it, uh, you know, online during the game is – 
you know, I don't know how you guard the perimeter if you if 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 those things are called. Where Austin Rivers' left hand like inadvertently grazes uh, Damian Lillard's leg just barely, and they're like, "Yeah, well, that's contact." And it's like, man, come on, he didn't create the contact. He didn't even try. He wasn't reaching for the ball or anything. But the perimeter and guards in particular are so protected in today's NBA, and it sucks. But you know, at the end of the day, you tip your hat to Damian Lillard, who just made impressive shot after impressive shot, and Denver just down the stretch had more. Um, Jokic made what was one, he had two passes in this game that were just all timers, but the one he made to Michael Porter, to me, it was such a it would be fitting for Denver to win the series based on that one play alone because you think about all the different things that come into it. One, Jokic in the post. They haven't been doubling him all series for the most part. They have to go small, so they have to double him. He handles the double better than anybody on the planet, maybe anybody all time. And he's calling, he's orchestrating, he's telling Gordon to cut. As soon as Gordon cut, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he flicks this like one-handed right hand on his inside, like not across his body, but like inside hand tosses it right over Robert Covington's outstretched hands. And it was so perfectly played. It's like Jokic just knows exactly what the angle has to be, the speed, all of these things. It's so impressive. And he does it. He gets the ball delivered right on target to Michael Porter. And then there you are, Michael Porter, corner three-pointer, where he's great. But now the game's on the line. This was for all the marbles. So you not only get to see Jokic's greatness on full display in the pressure cooker, but you also get Michael Porter, his first chance at a real sort of game winner or game shifter. And he, of course, drains it. And if you go back and watch... I have this on the list. I slow it down into super slow motion. Take a look at every single player on the Blazers roster for that entire possession. Hooting and hollering, amped up, so excited. Jokic throws the pass. They see Covington jump for it. They kind of get their hopes for just one split second. And as soon as that ball sails over his fingertips, every single player on the bench puts their head down. They don't even watch the three-pointer. All of them are standing there, and they're just like, damn it. There it is, and and he nails it, and you just see the life leave all of their their souls leave all of their bodies and just wilt to the floor, and it's just one of those things that was like such a beautiful little moment for the Nuggets, and I thought it was great. It was a great win. Uh, I think that you know game six now, I, you don't want to get to a game seven, especially there's a good chance that Denver will have to play if there is a game seven. It would be during the daytime. It looks like there's two time slots. If the Lakers win tomorrow and they push it to a seven-game series, they will get the night slot, and Denver will have a 3 p.m. start on Saturday, which is so similar to what happened. They had a 2 p.m. start in game four, like a day game off of one and a half days off. It just sucks. It means game sevens are always ugly no matter what, but you make it a midday game, and it's going to be the ugliest, most disgusting, most random game. Like, it, it would... It's just so dumb. I really hope it doesn't happen. If the Lakers lose or and they get eliminated, then Denver would have, I think, an 8 p.m. start on Saturday night if there is a Game 7 for this series. And so, you know, at least that one's more normal. But you don't want to make it go to a Game 7. Game 7s, Denver's been in so many Game 7s, and you almost have to predict they will because it's, you know, four of the five series they've been in over two years have gone 7. Um, but you don't want to get there. Too many random things can happen. You really leave fate in the hands of uh, Mike Conley. Does it go down? Does it not? Myers Leonard, does he make a three or doesn't he? Like, you don't want those things to happen. You don't want it to come down to just a bad bounce of the ball. And in this series, so many games have come down to the wire that you don't want it to be just a random thing. So Denver has a chance in this game six to go on the road. And I think it's a great chance. You know, this series will come down to a lot of the role players, but I think Denver has, they know what they have to do to make things hard on Portland. I don't think Portland knows what, you know, Portland's less capable of doing what 
what they need to to stop Denver. Um, you know, Denver's cold streaks have really been a lot about missing shots and not like great adjustments. Denver, on the other hand, does have things that it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to force the ball in these spots. And if you can really contain Nurkic in those zones we talked about on the show, then you can have the upper hand in the series. So I think game six is going to be an incredible one. Denver has a great opportunity, and this series has already been fantastic. I'd love to see Denver close it out in six tomorrow night. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Don't forget to leave a rating and review if you have not already on iTunes. Those always help us grow the show and meet new Nuggets fans. So do us that favor. We'll see everybody tomorrow night. Well, quickly, I want to tell you guys about Strava Craft Coffee. You guys want to check it out. The Colorado company that is brewing CBD-infused coffee, and it's fantastic. It helps you, so it gives you the great taste of, of you know, delicious coffee, like high-premium coffee. But it also has the CBD in there, so it's not going to give you those crazy jitters. Right now, you get 25% off your purchase when you use promo code DNVR25. 25% off, man. There's no little thing. This is 25% off of Strava Craft Coffee, CBD-infused, delicious Colorado zone. And again, if you're a first-time user, Strava is offering 25% off with the code DNVR25. 25 at checkout give them give them a, a try guys cbd coffee it's great with chronic you know for treating chronic headaches joint pains ibs and so much more and no coffee jitters you can have three four cups of coffee a day if you're like me you love drinking coffee you have three or four cups a day and not feel like you're going to get that wired where your hands are shaking and everything so don't forget order strava craft coffee and use promo code dmvr25 for 20 percent off or sign up for their monthly recurring subscription service where they deliver it right to your door and you automatically get 20 percent off with your order